Lord willing, we're going to spend some time in the book of James over the next several weeks. And I say Lord willing because in the book of James, he teaches us to say that if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. So we begin this morning in James chapter 1, and we read verses 1 through 12. James chapter 1, reading verses 1 through 12. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass. And its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given to us by the inspiration of your spirit. And we believe, O God, from Genesis to Revelation, that your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us in that truth today. And I ask, O God, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The letter of James was written to, according to verse 1, the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. These were most likely Jewish believers, because this book was written very early in the life of the church. Jewish believers that were scattered abroad, who fled Jerusalem when the time of persecution came against the early church. And so life was difficult for these people. As Christians, they were rejected by the world. They were rejected by by the Gentiles. But on top of that, they were Jewish Christians. And there were a lot of Jews that had been scattered abroad, and, but they didn't know Jesus. They weren't believers in Jesus. And so these Jewish believers were forsaken both by the world and by their fellow Jews. And so life was tough for them. And many of them faced poverty. They faced persecution. And they needed to be encouraged. <laughs> They really needed to be encouraged. And James does that as he begins this epistle to people who are facing times of of suffering. Now, the way that James encourages them is not by giving them false hope. He doesn't say to them, now that you are believers in Jesus, 
life is going to be easy. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be just one joyful day after another. Nor does he say to them, you may or may not face times of trial. In fact, if we look at verse 2, we're reminded of what we shared last Sunday from Isaiah 43. It's not a matter of if these trials come. Notice he uses the word when. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So we need to reject this, uh, this prosperity gospel that we hear coming from some places today. That when you come to Jesus, God's will for you is that you are healthy, that you are wealthy, and that you are prosperous. And if you are not, there is something wrong. You don't have enough faith. You might not even be a Christian. Let's perish that thought. Let's look at the Word. What does it say? It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of, of when. So how do we respond to the trials of life? Uh, James gives us what I believe are three very important uh, principles. The first one we find in verses 2 to 4, he says, to rejoice in God's good purpose in trials. Rejoice in God's good purpose in trials. If you think about what James says in verse 2 about trials, it, it, it almost appears to be a little bit unrealistic. And we might ask the question, do you really mean this? James, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, I don't know what your response to that is, but sometimes I say to myself, wow, do you, do you really mean that, James? And yes, he does really mean that because he isn't the only one who, who shares this principle. Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says, we exalt in our tribulations. Uh, Peter read from this uh, scripture reading this morning, chapter 1, verse 6, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So this isn't some uh, strange teaching that's peculiar to James. Uh, we find it all throughout scripture, many different places, but wherever we find it, it, it kind of causes us to step back and, and ask the question, is it really possible to rejoice in our trials? And I'd have to answer that by saying it must be because in the book of Acts, when the apostles were beaten, remember? It says they left the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Now that to me would be a challenge, wouldn't it? You love the Lord, you're sharing His Word, you get beaten for it, and you say, thank you, God, I rejoice in that. That's got to be a challenge. That's got to be the Lord's work in us to produce that kind of response. If we look at trials from our limited human understanding, then I would say it's about impossible to rejoice in them. Because trials are painful. They are unwanted intruders into our lives and they come in various forms. Because James says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Trials of different kinds that come our way. Could be a physical trial. Could be an emotional, a financial, a spiritual trial. And they often come when we least expect it. Just out of nowhere, there it is. 
But if we realize that God has a purpose in our trials, that can make a difference. And that's what James is getting at here. If you, if you look at verses 2 and 3, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that... What? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So James isn't saying that we are to rejoice in the trial itself as much as we are to rejoice in what it produces. What God does through that. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The word testing was used to describe the process by which a goldsmith purified gold. And you're familiar with that, where uh, heat was applied to the gold and the impurities rose to the top and then they were skimmed off. And that gold that had been tested by fire was purified and became of great value. So when God tests our faith in times of trial, He has a good purpose in it. There are impurities in our lives that, that, that need to be removed. There are qualities like endurance and patience that God is going to develop in us through those trials. But notice that James says we need to be willing to submit to God's work in that way. We need to let it happen. Look at verse 4 because he goes on to say, And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what's he saying here? He's saying, don't fight it. Let God do the work that He wants to accomplish in you. Don't let the trials of life make you bitter. Let them produce in you that which God is doing as He refines you, as He tests your faith. Dr. Hubert Davidson visited the noted poetess Myra Brooks Welch. And she is known for that poem, The The Touch of the Master's Hand. And as he turned to leave her home, uh, she was sitting in a wheelchair and she put put her hand on the arm of the wheelchair and she said, I thank God for this. Imagine that. I thank God for this. Prior to her wheelchair days, her her talent for writing was, was undiscovered. But rather than becoming bitter, she chose a better way that God gave to her that wonderful writing testimony of a blessing to, to the world. So God has a purpose, a good purpose. And we can rejoice in that. Does that mean it's easy? <laughs> I don't think any of us would say trials are easy. Bring them on. Love them, Lord. No. But I'll tell you what, when we look back often, it's often with the perspective of time, we look back and we can see, you know what, Lord, you accomplished something through that difficulty that you might never have been able to accomplish other than through that time of trial. Knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. So we can rejoice in God's good purpose in trials. The second thing James tells us here is that we ought to request God's willing help in trials. Request God's willing help in trials. When trials come our way, it often leads to confusion, isn't it? And the question we often ask
Why, Lord, why is this happening? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? It's, it's, the, it's the most easy question to ask, isn't it? Lord, why? Well, notice what James goes on to say. He says, let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So there's a connection here between the trials that we go through and prayer. Because as we go through some of the trials of life, we don't understand. Lord, what are you, what are you, what are you teaching me? We're, we lack wisdom and understanding in the events of life. And so, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Lord, Show me what you want me to learn here. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Any of you lack wisdom? Well, I'll tell you what. There are a lot of situations where I say, Lord, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to respond to this. I'm not sure what you're teaching me or teaching others through this. God, give me wisdom. Help me as I face this trial, this trouble, this circumstance. God, I need your wisdom. Now, when we pray during times of difficulty, what do we usually ask for? If you're like me, probably one of the first things you say is, Lord, would you take this away? Any of you pray like that? Or, Lord, would you get me out of this? (laughs) I don't really like this. This isn't very fun. I'd rather just uh, check out and run away. Lord, get me out of this. Apostle Paul prayed that. Remember his thorn in the flesh? In 2 Corinthians 12, he said, I pleaded with the Lord three times. And God said, no, I'm not going to take it away. But my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So in our time of weakness, isn't that the time when we are most aware of our need? Most dependent upon the Lord? And God's power is made perfect in our our weakness. Pray for wisdom. Warren Wearsby says that we need wisdom so we will not waste the opportunities God is giving us to mature. That's a wise statement, isn't it? We need wisdom so that we will not waste the opportunities that God is giving us to mature. Wisdom helps us understand how to use these circumstances for our good and for God's glory. You know, we can waste the circumstances that we're going through because we don't seek wisdom. Bitter against God for what has happened in our life. Rather than saying, Lord, you're a sovereign God. I have to trust you in this. Lord, give me wisdom how to handle this. Give me wisdom, Lord, for the lessons that you want to teach me through this. And when we come to God... Asking for wisdom. 
Notice the promise he gives. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Isn't that a great promise? We come to God asking for wisdom and God doesn't say, are you that dumb? You don't understand this? You're not very smart, are you? When we come to God asking for wisdom, He gives it generously. And there's no reproach. There's no saying, well, haven't you learned this yet? Don't you understand this? God gives us wisdom generously. As I look back in my life, I can see that answer to prayer. We're facing situations where I I didn't have a clue. I didn't know what to do. God, help me. God, God, show me. God, give me wisdom beyond my years. Help me, Lord. And when we come with that kind of dependence on God, He's not going to say, you should have known better. He gives to all. Generously and without reproach. But he goes on to say, but he must ask in faith, verse 6, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I grew up near Lake Superior, and when you've got wind on Lake Superior, uh, you've got waves. If you've ever been by the ocean or maybe Malax Lake, where there's a lot of area where the wind can come, that wind will move the waves whatever direction the wind is going. And if there's a boat on there or if there's a bird sitting in the water, you're, you're kind of going with, with the waves. So that's a picture I think we can, can all understand. And when we doubt God in the midst of those trials that He's going to give us wisdom, that's kind of what we're like then. We're, we're up and down and we're back and forth and we're in and out and on the mountain and in the valley. Uh, no stability whatsoever. We're controlled by our feelings uh, that change from, from moment to moment. And we've all been there, haven't we? Been in those situations where you just feel like you're being tossed by the wind and you're just up and down and it's like, Lord, I need something firm, something to stand on, something that is solid because I'm, I'm, I'm drifting with wherever the, the waves are, are, are moving, that's, that's where I'm going. You know, when we pray, we ask for wisdom. We trust that God is going to give that wisdom. He's going to provide what we need in the midst of those situations. And perhaps come then to the point of seeing what God is trying to teach us. That God is going, showing us something through these difficulties. Think of Joseph. Remember his life story. Um, sold by his brothers into slavery. Right? Framed by Potiphar's wife. Thrown in jail for doing nothing wrong. Sat there for two years. You think he was saying, this is great. I love this. He struggled with that for a while. 
time he, he saw the, the purpose of God, didn't he? When his brothers came and, and he made himself known to his brothers, what did he say? He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God spared the family. God spared the nation through that difficult time. He saw that God could use something that was, was evil, something that his brothers had done to hurt him, resulted in, in something good. So God has a purpose in our trials. He invites us to ask for wisdom as we face them. And then the third lesson we learn here is that we need to recognize God's eternal perspective in trials. We need to recognize God's eternal perspective in trials. You know, when we face the trials of life, it's, it's so easy to lose perspective, isn't it? We get so wrapped up in what happens in this life that we fail to live with eternity in view. Having an eternal perspective on, on, on life. And that's what James reminds us then in verse 12. He said, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. In other words, the blessings that come through trials, they aren't limited to this life. To those who persevere there are eternal blessings, eternal rewards. That's why Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death. What's the promise? I'll give you the crown of life. The very thing that James talks about here, persevering under trials, he will receive the crown of life. An eternal perspective. We need that, don't we? We need that. If you look at verses 9 through 11, then you can see how James applies this truth to the poor and then to the rich. To the poor, he says, that the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Now you read that and you say, What? <laughs> the brother of of humble circumstances is to rejoice, to glory in his high position. As I mentioned before, James writes to people that were suffering, people that were persecuted, people that were poor, of humble circumstances. And yet he tells them to glory in their high position. What does he mean? I think he wants them to know that in Jesus, they are truly rich. They have spiritual riches now as well as in eternity. They will own all that Jesus owns. Their high position is that they are citizens of heaven, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. Why one author describes them as the rich poor. <laughs> the rich poor. So if life seems difficult now, the poor can rejoice that this ain't going to last forever. This world is not our home. We're, we're just passing through. We need that, that eternal perspective. And then the rich. He gives a similar reminder, but they too have a totally different reason for this. The rich man 
Verse 10 is to glory in His humiliation. Because like flowering grass, He will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuit will fade away. In every culture, people tend to envy the rich, don't they? But James says that being rich isn't all that it appears to be. Those who are rich tend to be proud of their riches and they live as if they and their wealth is going to last forever. But it isn't. He says life is short. And soon they will fade away like a dying flower. So whether we are rich or poor, we need to live with eternity in view for the poor who know Jesus It can only get better for the rich. It won't last forever. So we need that eternal perspective. Seeing life beyond the the few years that we spend in this world. And when we have that eternal perspective, it does make a difference in how we live. It makes a difference in how we face the trials of life. And when we understand that God has a purpose in trials, and in the end, what will we sing? It it, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ, won't they? One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. The El Moody told about a Christian woman who had real joy in spite of her old age and failing health. And she lived on the top floor of an old run-down building in Chicago. And one day there was a lady that visited her and there was a wealthy woman that came with her and no elevator, had to go walk up the steps to all, all, all those floors. They got to the second floor. The, old, the, the rich woman said, what a dark and filthy place this is. And the one woman with her said, it's better higher up. They got up to the third floor and she said, it's no better here. She said, it's better higher up. Finally, they got to the flip, fifth floor, the the attic, and they met this woman there who was old and, and suffering and bedridden, smile on her face. And the rich woman said, it must be difficult to live in a place like this. What was her answer? She said, it's, it's better higher up. <laughs> better higher up. That's the hope we live with, Right? might be tough here. There's, there's times in life when it is tough here. It is real tough. But when we have that eternal perspective, we can say it's, it's better higher up. When we see Jesus, wow. We'll say it's worth it all. It's worth it all. Father, thank you that you are the one who teaches us the trial. 
You give us wisdom, Lord. You walk through those times of, of testing with us. And you're the one that gives us that promise, Lord, that it's better higher up. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because when he has been approved, he shall receive the crown of life for those who love Jesus. Lord, thank you for that. And we come today, Lord, as, as we face uh, trials and troubles, we ask for your wisdom. And we believe your word that says you, you will give it generously. Lord, help us to trust you. Not to doubt, but to trust you. In the midst of the waves that, that come crashing down upon us. Lord, thank you that you are a gracious God. You are a good God. Uh, we can trust you today. And so, Lord, we cast all our cares on you because you care for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.